today we are graced with Kelly's presence again. Woohoo! Yeah. Yay! And yeah. we're all in the same room, not like the last time. I was trying to be in Germany and oh, yeah. you guys were here in this office, yeah. freezing. It does feel like that was not that long ago, actually. I yeah. know. November? It actually was, yes, November, early November. <laughs> Kelly is our wonderful ADHD expert therapist and she has a practice in Florida and works for Holistic Wellness Solutions as well and supervises a number of people. Mm -hmm. She is full of knowledge and expert on just about everything and in every country. I'm so flattered. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for coming back. I love coming back. <laughs> this is our third, yeah. third time. It's always a good time. Lucky number three. Today we're going to continue picking Kelly's brain about different random things. The first topic, Kelly, is is therapy and how to know whether you fit with your therapist or not and what to do if you do not? This is such a great question and such a fun question. But I also think it's a question that more people probably have but don't feel like they can ask, right? Therapy is a word that is so broad and so big and there's such an umbrella of stuff under therapy. And with that, you see all these different therapist qualifications. You've and got styles, like yeah. LPCs and LISWs and psychologists and psychiatrists. So I think that's something that people don't really recognize the difference of. And it's really just in how we're trained, really schooling in that sort sort of thing. But even after that, you ask any <laughs> you ask any therapist who has training as a social worker and has her master's in social work, I think all of them are going to tell you, I learned how to do therapy after grad school. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Because as a social worker, you learn so much about like human behavior and environment. Uh, yeah. And environments and all that, which is think about social so welfare and school oh. social work and hospital social work yeah. and how to set up people for services. So much stuff. So like you take that into a therapy perspective. So great, right? You need that. So in terms of like, what does these letters mean? What does that letters mean? We're all doing the same thing. I think it's, I think it's, it doesn't matter. You're not going to be any better served by someone who has this license or that degree. It's so much about like fit with your therapist. I mean, there's all sorts of research, right? Like the most important thing about success in therapy is the therapeutic alliance. which How is you click. How you mm. click. How mm -hmm. you feel. Like, do you feel comfortable with them? Do they feel comfortable with you? Um, and yeah. it's so different, right? Because I, I find it that over the years, like, I don't know if your experience is the same. Sometimes people like click with you immediately and with your style like I am a bubbly hyper mm -hmm. person so sometimes I'm going into my hyper mode and I talk a lot and I get excited and and sometimes it's like I just do a lot of listening because I can pick up that person needs to yeah. and and so there's a flow and you definitely feel like there's a release of some type of like if you've helped truly helped mm -hmm. in a session you feel like there's some kind of energy mm -hmm. that's being mm -hmm. processed and releases and mm -hmm. But then other people, you try and try and try, and then nothing ever, nothing, nothing works, yeah. seems like. Yeah. I have a question because I keep, I, I switched therapist recently, and I had no issue with my last one, but I started somatic therapy. Um, mm -hmm. So 
I don't know if it's just the different style. I, I definitely leave and I'm like, oh, wow, and I have realizations. But there are moments where I go and then I just feel like kind of awkward. And I don't know if there it's because there's more silence or is, is there a, a rule to that? Is there a way it should be? Like, is I don't it- know that I'd say rule. I think it's like there's two things to it. So I think you've got the... F- the fit and the match. I mean, mm-hmm. it's basic human connection, like yeah. dating. You're yeah, not going to get along with everybody. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the same thing with yeah. like finding a therapist. I mean, it's an yeah. intimate relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also, there's aspect of it to like sitting with the silence and like, okay, what's that discomfort for you? What's it mm. bringing up? Is it productive discomfort that you need to pay attention to and address and think about? Or is it like, wait, let me think about this person, whoops, and my interaction with them? You know, mm-hmm. so I am nodding and nodding yeah. and nodding my head, and I, and I think growth, right? So, is there any growth that happens out of some of this discomfort? Because 100%. therapy yeah. is yeah. not designed to always make you feel like it's just this great thing. Because yeah. both of you bring in different moods. On that day, you might feel you know on top of the world, and different day, you might feel like, oh my gosh, everything went wrong last two weeks. I am depressed, you know, so you mm-hmm. bring in that energy and the therapist is working with you to help you essentially grow, mm-hmm. right? Maybe that's what it is because I think in the style there's more s- with the somatic maybe. I don't know. I haven't – I try not to look it up so that I don't know what she's doing. But um, I think maybe she's more quiet because she wants me to feel and that's what I was having Probably. issues with my last therapist. It was I was intellectualizing everything and not feeling. So there's so many silences where I like actually have to think – like feel what I said and then I'm like oh god and then I realized yeah. oh I actually feel this which was really uncomfortable at first maybe maybe it is a good fit and I'm just fighting the discomfort well if you had that first experience where it was that like uncomfortable silence yeah. think, I mean think about it, you're gonna be triggered to that like mm. thing you've already experienced mm. yeah so maybe next time you feel it maybe you go in and you just like sit with it and you like I mean you know mindfulness like think yeah. about like what is this what does this feel like in my mm. body? Because that's and you could yeah. share it, right? Because so you're yeah. the driver. I think what people don't realize when yes. they come to therapy is like yeah. you're the driver. The therapist is next to you, and they're helping you essentially guide you. But they are not the ones that's supposed to take control. You're supposed to kind of know where you want to go too. Mm-hmm. I mean, the therapist can yeah. definitely guide that, though, right? Mm-hmm. Because sometimes a client doesn't know. You know, what am I supposed to be talking about? Nervous. What do I right? Yeah, I, I did have. I'll say I had. One one session where I was just like, honestly, I just, I can't relax. I can't get comfortable. Like, I don't know. Can I just put my feet up? And she's like, do whatever you want. You can lay down. And I was, I was like, I can lay down. Mm-hmm. And I just laid down. And then she's like, do you want like some of these fidget things? And we sat there in silence for a little bit. And it, it was such a powerful mm-hmm. session. You learned that it was okay to feel the discomfort. Yeah. And someone gave you permission to sit down, put your feet up. Didn't judge you for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's when I realized that I was judging myself. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and probably a perception of someone else judging me when they're not. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh You know, and sometimes I feel like people come with certain expectations. So sometimes people see a therapy done on the movies or like they have certain expectation that, you know, we should wear like glasses, which Kelly does a good job of, right? You have some glasses you wear. I have like these pretend ones, which I don't wear. Well, mine are pretend. Yeah, they're just Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Days I don't have makeup on. Yeah. (laughs) But I think people come with expectations and sometimes, you know, they don't tell you. So as Mm -hmm. a therapist, you're sitting there, they have this 
preconceived notion of what the therapy is going to be like, what the therapist is going to do, and then they are not getting it, mm -hmm. and then they leave, and then they either nev never come back or they feel disappointed and they try to find somebody else, which, again, we could say it's not a good fit. Mm -hmm. But I also think... There's that responsibility that if you're a client and you and there's something very specific you're expecting, you can definitely communicate it. Like therapy Absolutely. is supposed to be about communication. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. One thing that is so important to me when I start with a new client and, and really what I try to like teach people that I like mentor and supervise is talk about all that in your first session. Like say, hey – it, the most important thing, like I just said, is having a good feeling about your therapist and a good fit. You are never going to offend me if that's the case. And I also say, I might ask you if you feel like it's a good fit on like the third, fourth, whatever session. Mm -hmm. Another thing I also make sure to ask, which has been so helpful, is if they've done therapy in the past, what they like about it, what didn't they like about it? And that helps with like expectations mm -hmm. that they can communicate to the therapist but also you can hear as the therapist and know like, oh, yeah, um, you know, if someone's very specific, like, I want this type of da-da-da-da-da, you can say, I don't do that instead of six sessions in and you're like, oh, wait, this person wants to do that. I don't do that type of therapy. Right. Well, so I think the most important thing about the fitting with the therapist is, is to realize like, okay, if you tell the therapist something and you pick up that the therapist is now defensive or starts to mm -hmm. treat you differently, they're not open to you asking or having expectations. And I, I'm trying to think of examples, but let's say you can you can tell your therapist, hey, you know, I noticed that when I, when I tried to tell you a story, mm -hmm. it seems like you give me a lot of examples, but I feel like you've not heard me. I feel like I want to share more and I need more time, but you kind of try to give me too many ideas. Mm -hmm. And then I leave kind of confused at the end of the session. I feel like I didn't get off everything I wanted off my mm -hmm. chest. So let's say you said this to your therapist and then your therapist, you know, starts to defend herself himself and says, you know, no, oh, no, no, you just need to trust me. Yeah. This is the best way to do this. But in your heart, you feel like, ah, oh, darn, you know, it's not the best way, way for me then if they're not willing to work with you, I think that's not a good fit. Totally. So, oh, yeah, so totally. at least try to communicate what it is that you want. And if, if you're just feeling like they're not listening, they're not working with you, then mm -hmm. let it go and find someone else, mm -hmm. right? Because sometimes, you know, like I, I can think of myself, like sometimes I just get so excited about some, somebody sharing a story and I have so much stuff about it and I just want to like – Blah, you know, and ADHD comes in, and I just yeah. want to interrupt. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep. And so it's sometimes really hard because you have to like pull yourself back, like, oh gosh, you know, like really that person really wants to say a lot. Yep. So I got to put myself in check sometimes, yep. which I can do if someone yeah. asks. Yeah. Again, it's me. kind of feeling it. You have some clients <laughs> who just like to need someone to listen so you yes. put on your listening hat the other people love examples and stuff like yes. that you know what a great example is with some of this kind of stuff um a therapist giving like homework yes uh if you don't like that kind of stuff I'm yeah. such, i can say shit if yeah. you don't yeah. like that kind of shit tell them that because yes. like then you feel shitty if you go and you're like i didn't do my homework because yeah. some people love the homework yeah. and they want it yeah. and they want the therapist to remember yeah. what you know we assigned to them I'm so terrible at this. I would try to sometimes give Me people too. homework and then I would forget everything about it. <laughs> Me too. I can't That's do funny. it. Me too. The homework becomes more homework for me than it is for them. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't. Yeah. Me too. 
Me too. So, but yeah, and the other thing too, I was talking about this with Autumn this morning was that when you feel like it's not like you're not like vibing with the therapist, chances are they don't they they can feel something similar too. I mean, it's again and, human connection. And I think therapists right. are like just like people. So just yeah. like you meet hundreds yeah. of different types of people out there, is the same with therapists. You might meet someone that's very introverted, mm-hmm. someone mm. that that will be a great listener. But mm-hmm. they are not going to pull any kinds of questions out of you because they are themselves so introver- introverted, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, again, I think it's just also about trying to – what do you think? Yeah. What is it about? The chemistry, right? The chemistry, the chemistry. between you yeah. and the – You're yeah. like shopping the for vibing. a therapist. Yeah. yeah. I mean, everybody has different personalities. And just because you have a professional role of a therapist, that doesn't go away. Like, no. I mean, and I think that's one of the great things about – about it is there's so many different personalities in our field yes. that, like, you'll find somebody who you like. Yeah. You well, know? I sometimes the, feel like, you know, like, people have this expectation that you have these glasses on yeah. and your hair is up and you're just sitting there nodding your head. But, but we have to remember that therapy is about talking about really sometimes mm-hmm. uncomfortable yeah. things, traumatic, painful things. And mm-hmm. so we're going to be with you in there in the trenches, really, mm-hmm. you know, trying to maneuver through your feelings and emotions and help you process and drop all this stuff that yeah. maybe you carried with you. So me sitting there with my stick up my butt and, <laughs> you know, and and projecting whatever it is that you think you saw in the movies, it's not going to help you, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I try to be as real as possible, oh, along with too. using the word shit all the time. Oh, me too. I, I love when therapists cuss. Oh, yeah. I'm just like, oh, I can unclench my butt. Yeah. 100%. When someone does that, they're like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm like, no, trust me. Actually, I'll be like, it's fucking fine. You can fucking yeah. cuss. But then there are therapists that will never, never, ever yeah. say any kind of shit or any kind of words like that. And that's okay too. I mean, it works for some people. It really does. So thank you guys for being normal. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) I had a, I'll tell a little story. Um, I had a therapist for a bit and I kind of felt like something was off and I didn't listen to it. I'm naturally, especially back then, this was like four years ago, four, I don't know, three years ago whatever. I, I'm naturally kind of a people pleaser. So mm-hmm. I'll, pu- I'll definitely stick things out longer than I mm-hmm. should. Mm-hmm. And then I like brought up religion and how I felt like I was, you know, leaning a bit away from it and, ex- and at least the way I was raised to look at religion. And she was like, you should understand the religion you were raised on first before you transition. And then that Ooh. was like, Oh, yeah. didn't I just say I've been diving deep into this and this is how I feel. Also, I just felt like, that's my decision. But mm-hmm. anyway, so that was red flag one. People have had experiences yep. like yours. Okay. 100%. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Just so trust your gut. I guess as a gut. patient, that's you know, what I want to say. Here's the thing. Is. Okay. Yeah. Just, just, just for the, what is it, shits and giggles? <laughs> um, you could, if you're feeling that way in a therapy session, you could say to the therapist, hey, I'm feeling as if you were dismissive of what I feel. Mm-hmm. Are you trying to do that or mm-hmm. am I... What's going on? Mm-hmm. You could try to clarify. Now, it takes a lot of courage yeah. to do that because you're trying to question authority figure. Yeah. But sometimes relationships get better yeah. when you when you just put it out in the open and you tell and you confront what you see. 
And sometimes that relationship gets better because then you can truly talk about it yeah. as opposed to leaving and then not coming back, right? And and then letting that relationship, maybe something would have came out of it, that therapeutic relationship. Maybe that therapist would have learned something. If I say this, I'm dismissing someone's emotions or they feel that way, yeah. right? Yeah. I'm, but I'm not saying you did anything wrong No, because yeah. here's the thing. I'm a therapist. I've been to therapy. I signed up with a guy, a therapist. I, I had him. He was my role model. He was one of my teachers uh, once upon a time in social work school. So I found him because I always thought he would be awesome. And when I was going through my divorce, I started seeing him. And I had maybe like five sessions with him. And one time I was just sobbing. You know, I'm just like in the midst of like such powerful mm -hmm. crying spell. And he starts barking like a dog. Wait, like, wait, like... Like a dog. This barking? barking? Oh, my <laughs> God. oh, my God. Like that. And I, like, like I completely, like, get pulled out of this, this intense crying. And he goes, yeah, there you go. You're like a little chihuahua dog. You, you're a big dog, but then when it comes down to it, you do nothing about it, and there you are crying. Um, wow. So that was, like, strike number one. It felt yeah. like, okay, I'm going to be a little graphic sexually here. It felt like this crying. It's like you're, you're like, okay, if you compare crying to orgasm, it's like unfinished orgasm. Like somebody just, yeah. like, stops yeah. you yeah. right in the middle of yeah. it. Yeah. And now you're, like, not Ugh. finished. So this felt Ugh. this no, felt like this unfinished, yeah. like this energy that it was purging something. I'm purging something. Like you just here. put a cork in. And he put crying. cork in me yeah. and like just like interrupted this. So this was strike number one. Yeah. And I am with you. I always kind of try to give people benefit of the doubt. Mm -hmm. Like um the second thing was I was late for an uh, no, he I was late like five minutes for an appointment. And I was outside. With my two dogs because I, he said it was fine if I brought my little dogs with me. So, so I was outside his office and I hear him talking so, to someone or on the phone. So I kind of like, okay, mm -hmm. I'm going to give him time. So now it's about 25 minutes after the hour. So it's about 30 yeah. minutes that he's still in his office not coming out. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, he's probably running late. Something's going on that he has to address. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to leave. So... I left with my two dogs, went for a walk. When I got home, I think I I think I left him a voicemail and I said, Hey, I noticed you were busy, didn't wanna didn't know what was going on, so uh just wanted to reschedule. Left him a voicemail. So he called me, uh left me a voicemail, uh, and then uh he said something in it like um that I was projecting some some issue onto him not being available or something. And I was like, okay, like, uh, I don't know what he's talking about, but I went for the session, it was rescheduled. And in the session, I'm like trying to talk about something. And he says to me, so how did you really feel that I wasn't available for the session? And I'm like, I felt fine. I had my dogs, didn't think anything of it. I thought you were busy and I went for a walk. There was a beautiful day. I mean, you know, and he goes, well, now really, I think that you felt abandoned and you felt, you know, whatever else he was saying. I was like, no. Wow. Uh, and, and then he said something about my father who wasn't emotionally available and that I must have felt some of that. And I said, okay. I said, let's not make you being late 
to my session mm-hmm. about my life and my problems. I forcing said, you to go somewhere. Forcing mm-hmm. me to but go somewhere. But also it sounds like he w- is like some weird fucked up inadvertent way to apologize. Yeah. You know? So he wasn't going to apologize for being late. He was just going to make this a part wow. of my issue. Like somehow. And I just got me angry. So I, I was like, okay, and I'm done. I'm done right now. I said, do not bring this up again. Because this is my session, and I'm going to talk about what I came here to talk about. Okay, so I got this out, and then I continued on with whatever the session was, the leftover. And then uh, he signed me up for a group uh, session with him. There was like 30 people in a room this size. It was a small room. Signed you up without permission? Well, he said it was going to be good for me. That it was going to be good for me to be in this group session. Meanwhile, I'm like the beginning of my divorce. I'm feeling completely broken down, distraught, a lot of the depression, emotions. I don't want to be around people. Mm-hmm. I really don't want to be around. But he was he kept kind of like pushing it. So I was like, okay, fine. So I went to this group session, 30 bucks, and there's like 30 people, and almost nobody really got anything to say because there's so many people and you have like an hour. So like people will say little things. Everybody's here for different reasons. So I was like, okay, I'm not even going to bother here. So I never went to this group session again. And so I think this this last part was he was late yeah. and he was trying to make this a part of my issue. And I was like, okay, I think I'm done. I think three strikes and I'm out. You know, I try to give people a chance. But, yeah. but So sometimes people yeah. are narcissistic in therapy. Like some oh, therapists yeah. will have a yeah. very narcissistic kind of traits of personality and they will literally force you to think mm-hmm. whatever it is that they are thinking, force it on you, make you feel like this is really your issue. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to think therapy to work on whatever it is that the therapist mm-hmm. decided mm-hmm. that your agenda is going to be. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. You're so a scary. patient like well, this. so inappropriate. No, it's inappropriate. Yeah. No, do not believe that. If you already in your heart know this is not what I'm trying to work on, forget it. I yeah. had a friend who was diagnosed with schizophrenia by a therapist and she's a lawyer and out of the blue she gets diagnosed with schizophrenia, Okay. And she starts taking meds for schizophrenia. And she, for six months, she's a zombie. And then one day she's like walking and she's like, okay, I think these meds are making me sick. Holy so she God. stops Shit. taking everything and voila, miraculously, she's healed. God, <laughs> so that's this, crazy. It's unbelievable. Sometimes Ugh. people in the positions of power, yeah. like therapists, can make you believe that something's wrong when it isn't. Some therapists are truly so cocky. Yes. yes. Mm. So cocky. And yes. that's so opposite of like human and okay, whatever, right. education, this, that, or the other. But also like I think you and also me, like part of what makes me who I am as a therapist is like my life experience yes. and also my own therapy experiences. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I just, I can't handle that. Mm-mm cocky, listen to this, listen to me, this is what you should do. Well, and you know, and that makes me feel like what, okay, I am a pretty strong personality and I kind of, you know, can maneuver for some of these things and pick up when it's bullshit, it's bullshit, Mm -hmm. right? But what if it is someone that doesn't really have that much experience with therapy, they go in and now they are maneuvered by the therapist to Mm -hmm. believe they have some issues that they don't even have. Mm -hmm. And where do they end up then? Think about it. Like, it's like, it's, it's, it feels so reckless. Yes. Uh, Okay. So think about trauma, for example, people have like different models they work through with people with trauma. 
I am like one of my biggest things is I am not going to make somebody talk about their freaking trauma unless they want to. And I'm right. very adamant about that because I'm not going to force you to go somewhere Mm-mm. you don't want to go. Like, yes, it's beneficial to to do some of that in the most appropriate things. But also, like, if you're not ready and you just want to, like, work on your social anxiety, great. Let's do that because let's work on your social anxiety and eventually – I mean, and maybe you do want to talk about your trauma, but maybe on that particular day, you're not feeling it. And today, you know, you don't want to talk about it. And your therapist should understand that and should give you the freedom to talk about whatever it is you want to work on that day. Yeah. So if someone was brand new to therapy and they're listening to this and now they're like, oh God, I'm so scared. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) We scared everybody out of therapy. (laughs) What would you tell them? Like th- some rules of thumb. I think most therapists are not like what we just described. Correct. Those are rare, hopefully rare incidents. Uh, but like, for example, I had another therapist that I that I love dearly and she does a lot of listening and, you know, and, and she's great. And she lets me talk about whatever it is I want to talk about. Yep, me too. So, I can honestly hmm. say I have never, and I almost wish that I had, so I had a cool story to tell. <laughs> but I've never had a bad therapist. I've never had somebody I didn't like or I didn't feel good with. Like, uh, maybe not good with. I mean, yeah, there was like forced therapy as a teenager, but that was deserved because I was a I was a bitch when I <laughs> like my mom forced me to go to therapy. It was so deserved. So you know, you sit there like this, whatever. But like yeah. as an adult, oh my god! And I think part of that too. I had this one therapist years ago before I moved. Ugh, I just loved her so much, and yeah. I, I think what made a difference. And also helped me be who I am and where I am today is like she sat like with her legs like crossed up on the chair like that and she would just like move around and like fidget and she had her water. One time she spilled her water and I was like this person is just so cool. And that just like I don't know just sticks with you. And so keep trying. It's so hard. It's so hard. I know that. But like keep trying. and. Don't give up. I mean, shoot, yeah. it, it's it's like there's there's lots and lots of different types of people, lots of different types of therapists, yeah. and even the uncomfortable experiences, or even the experiences where you're like, oh boy, this person mm-hmm. is just not a fit for me. Even those experiences can long term be a growth experience, and yeah. I think mm-hmm. life is just about yeah. growth. So. Yeah. Yeah. So at least you you will find out what you don't like. So like yeah. if you find someone that you really you're like, oh my god. Yeah. Then next person you you can even tell them like, listen, this is I I just need someone that listens. I mean mm-hmm. that part of my life where I just need someone that's gonna like non judgmentally listen to me. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's all you need. Mm-hmm. You know. I'll close the topic with a good story, a quick one. But my Caribbean mother. <laughs> was like, no, I'm not going to therapy, never going. Mm-hmm. So she starts therapy like this year and then she's like, I don't like her. And I'm like, okay, mom, maybe give it another shot and then you can switch or whatever. Then a few weeks later, she's like, no, I love her. I'm looking forward to her. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so there's hope. Yeah, hyper-religious Caribbean people love it. <laughs> can yep. come around to therapy. Um, I, I was going to say, you mentioned your friend who uh, got diagnosed, diagnosed with schizophrenia, and I thought yeah. that might be a good transition into handling a diagnosis. And, yeah. like, what if you get a diagnosis and you're like, my life's over, yeah. this can't be real? Or yeah. how do you guys handle What do you that? think, Kelly? Um, I, I mean, I'm very assertive, right? And <laughs> I say talk about it and bring it up, but ask Absolutely. questions. Absolutely ask questions. Otherwise, you're left with your own assumptions. Um, and those assumptions, especially on, like, 
heavy hitter stuff like schizophrenia, they mm-hmm. come from the media, which is yes. like, oh, my God, these crazy people that are out there hallucinating yep. and all this, that, or the other. Right. Uh, ask questions about it. It's also okay to get a second opinion. If you get a medical diagnosis of, like, cancer and they say this is your only option, what are you going to do? Most people are going to get a second Again, opinion. Yeah. That's okay. Um, and a lot of therapists have – a little bit of a bias, bias, bias. I mm-hmm. think with diagnosis, mm-hmm. I look through an ADHD lens, and there are times when I seriously have to check myself and be like, "Wait, no, they don't have ADHD; <laughs> they have anxiety, right?" Or PTSD, and like, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, but asking questions and bringing it up, and like, if something doesn't make sense or feel right, talk about it, ask about it, and notice what's happening with you, and then. Talk about what's happening and ask, I think, too, am I describing this right? Am I describing this how it's actually affecting my life, I think? Um, Because people are misdiagnosed all the time. Yeah. I've misdiagnosed people. You've misdiagnosed. It just happens because because, it's one thing. And because Mm. we don't know, right? So we meet someone for the first time. And for insurance reasons, we have to diagnose you with something. Mm -hmm. Insurance will not pay us unless we diagnose you with something, Mm -hmm. right? So the first time you come in, you already get a diagnosis. And what what do we know about you? We know what Mm -hmm. you told us for about an hour. That's all we know. So, and there's so many diagnoses that overlap that we can absolutely misdiagnose you the the first time, even the second time or the third time. And so the diagnosis can change as you come longer for therapy or for medication management. But sometimes we don't change diagnoses. We just kind of like, oh, well, we're doing this and this, and it doesn't really matter to us. But to the patient, it matters. So you as a patient, you need to remember that you are diagnosed with something if you're seeing us. And you absolutely have the right to say, hey, Kelly, what did you diagnose me with? Or Alicia, what did you diagnose me with? And if you hear, I don't know, borderline personality disorder, for example, and you say, oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. what? Mm -hmm. I didn't know I had that. What Mm -hmm. are you talking about? Well, then that's that's the communication right there. So you can talk to Kelly and say, well, why do you think I have that diagnosis, you know, and I disagree with it. And then Kelly can either defend her position or say, okay, well, mm-hmm. show me or like, let's talk about it. And I will show you where you're meeting this criteria and where you're not. And, you know, because it's a work in progress. It's almost like writing a book, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's work in progress. Would a diagnosis like that... Um would a diagnosis like that be addressed, though, or do you think it would only come up if you were like, "Hey, would you put on my papers?" Kind of depends. It really kind of depends because sometimes too, you say to someone, "Hi, here's your diagnosis, borderline in particular." Someone might take that and then like own it and use it as an excuse for everything, where it might be more detrimental for you to be like, "So you have borderline personality disorder, right?" Like, yeah. So. It depends yeah. how you address it, depends how that person is going to react to it. But ultimately, it is your right to know what you're diagnosed with. Like, Absolutely. you don't want your doctor to hide cancer diagnoses okay. from you. It's the same with, you know, with mental health diagnoses. But could the diagnosis hurt you in any way? So let's say, Kelly, you diagnosed mm-hmm. me with borderline personality, ADHD, uh, and now we just are on our third session and you're telling me I'm diagnosed with this. I'm like, oh, my gosh, Mm -hmm. what does this mean? Is this going to impact me for the rest of my Mm -hmm. life? What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, kind of what I just said of like it can – you put a label on yourself if someone else is giving you this essentially label um, and and you could – 
kind of live more into that than actually what you're living. So you're you know? saying if they're di- like if someone is diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, they can use this disorder as an excuse to continue doing some of the sure. same behaviors, and now they they just feel like a victim. I have sure. this diagnosis. There's nothing I can do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But they could also grow from that, Absolutely. and they could also just say, "Hey, I have this. This is what I'm going to do to fix or change myself." Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so it could go both ways. Mm-hmm. What about like an impact in terms of getting jobs or, or joining the military or uh, becoming, I don't know, a pilot? pilot. Yeah, <laughs> pilot's a big one. Yeah. Yep, mm. it sure does. It sure, sure, sure does. And that's something too, oh my God, that could be a whole conversation about how people in some of those uh, professions don't explore mental health treatment because of They're those afraid. kind of labels and yeah. things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Judgment of that assumed like, oh, this person is schizophrenic. Therefore, um, we're not going to let them into this profession because they will absolutely have a psychotic break and, and hallucinate right. during the job or, right. or whatever it is. Totally. Totally. Well, and you know, it's like there's some jobs that make people almost paranoid, right? Mm-hmm. So, for example, mm-hmm. yesterday I was talking to someone. He's going through a high-level security clearance for a government contract job, and he he's calling me, and he's essentially paranoid because he's worried that maybe the treatment he received for anxiety is going to be brought up or, you know, he smoked weed some time ago, you know, when he was younger. And it's like... Dude, just don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. Answer your questions and mm-hmm. move on because you can't change what you can't change. And if they don't accept you, yeah. then you're going to find a different job. But people are so worried about – I mean I've had military clients who would say, do not go through my insurance. I just want to pay cash because yep. I don't want anyone to know that I'm receiving yep. this treatment. It's so sad <laughs> wow. that there's such a stigma still yep. in these very important you know, jobs yep. that are very stressful for people. And these people are afraid to get any kind of treatment yep. because they're afraid of the stigma. If anything, yep. I feel like with a high-level job, even if you don't have like a diagnosis, I can imagine you just need a place to just vent absolutely yeah yeah instead of like making this more available to people because of asking questions in this way i think the institutions Mm -hmm. are making it harder for people Mm -hmm. to to utilize the services totally you know another thing with diagnosis too like your diagnosis can change like because as someone learns more about you as a professional learns more about you um you're learning more about yourself um that information gives new, like, light to stuff. And it's like, oh, well, you don't have generalized anxiety disorder. Actually, you have more of, like, a, like, agoraphobia type thing that's very, like, much more specific type thing. So it it can absolutely change. Um, The hard thing with that is that people – it's part of it, too, is you have to teach people that I think like sometimes people are like well what is what does that mean or like I don't have or I have social anxiety well you don't have social anxiety you have generalized anxiety you know just the education but also a lot of people are worried so for example they are worried about if you die if Kelly you diagnose me with I don't know depression even and I switch over to a different insurance. Will they say that I have a pre-existing condition and right. treat me differently now? Right. I don't I don't know that it really comes up and and people need to know that it's not like everything is connected. We right. do not have none of us have a system that connects to some other systems magically. So really when you come to counseling and you sign up, it's really confidential yeah. what's happening in the session to you and that therapist. And if you have insurance company, yes, it, you know, the claim will go to the insurance company 
we have to put some kind of a diagnosis on the claim to receive reimbursement. But I don't think your insurance company is going to like, you know, send that information to the government and to yeah. everybody else to make them know yeah. what you have. So, yeah. I mean, in that way, I don't know that people need to necessarily worry so much about. You know, it's interesting. Mm. I So as I was like getting health insurance like recently, um, as I'm going through like this list of, you know, like. There's provider screen, screener sure. for like pre-existing kind of conditions to see if I qualify for this plan. I was like, oh yeah, like um, I have you know some mental health diagnosis. I take meds for this, blah 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 blah. And he was like, oh that doesn't matter. I don't don't have to write that down. I was like, oh okay, you well, know. Good. So I guess maybe with that example, I thought that was interesting. Mm. Yeah, shoot, but, I gotta do my health insurance. Oh <laughs> god. Um, the other thing too is um, really quick that just because you. A, a person that you're seeing isn't diagnosing you with something doesn't mean you don't have it or doesn't mean you don't have symptoms of it. Right. Right? Like maybe I'm not specifically assessing you for post-traumatic stress disorder. That does not mean you don't have post-traumatic stress disorder. That means I haven't done my like questions and things or it hasn't been talked about that I haven't given you that diagnosis Right. Yet. Or it doesn't mean you don't have alcohol yeah. dependence or, you know, or some other yeah. substance dependence. It's Probably because that therapist didn't ask these questions or it didn't, like you said, didn't come up in the conversation. Or because insurance doesn't let us use right. an alcohol diagnosis as yes. a uh, Major. primary diagnosis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, oh, you know. insurance. <laughs> um, so, yes, yeah. and we even had a patient one time that was diagnosed, I think, with borderline personality disorder. Mm. Uh, she she wanted to, quote unquote, be diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. The therapist didn't diagnose her with that, but diagnosed her with borderline personality disorder. And she was fighting with us and fighting with us because she wanted her records transferred somewhere else. And then the records had that diagnosis. She wanted us to change it on all the records. So, okay, so let's put it in perspective. If you've been treated by someone, so let's say for I don't even know, like let's say for a year, but even if it was only two or three sessions, if this diagnosis you already been treated for went yeah. as a claim to your to your insurance company, we cannot go back and change it. We cannot alter records. Mm. And just because you don't like your diagnosis, go back and, and change everything. Yeah. So the only thing we can do is going forward, if you made a good case and you submitted, I don't know, some assessments from somewhere else and there's something we missed and the clinician is willing to update your diagnosis, we can update it sure. yep. in the computer, in the system, and we can carry that diagnosis forward, but we can't go back. So no matter how much you scream at us, yep. we're not going to be able to change it. But again, I don't know why people worry about it so much. It's because it doesn't Signal. really matter totally. anyway. Does it's, that go back to the label thing? Like, I think it's the label you know, thing. Like, yeah. I have PTSD. I don't have borderline. Bam, you know? Right. Mm. I, I mean, wonder if it's no. stigma too. Like with borderline, I definitely have heard very like, well, you know, Strange and it's sad that there's a stigma about, about yes. the diagnosis because yeah. a lot of symptoms of borderline personality disorder, it, it probably comes from trauma. Mm -hmm. So if you really look at it, you, you, you're dealing with a lot of trauma too. And it's sad because people are so afraid to be diagnosed with it. But the label is only there to help you figure out a way forward. Right, yeah. So if we mm -hmm. never diagnose you with this, if you meet the criteria, then you don't have the tools to, to move forward and to get better. Yeah, yeah. It's like telling you that, okay, you have this cancer, but we 
we diagnosed you with this other cancer, but we're not going to tell yeah. you about it. So it's like mm. you want your therapist to have the courage yeah. to diagnose you with everything that you have because you want to get help for it. And some therapists are afraid. Like yeah. so, sometimes I find myself like, oh, my gosh, I think this person has borderline personality disorder. But if I tell them that, they're going to be ready to kill me. Yep. So do I want to <laughs> do I want to go there? I'm going to ask something. What about narcissistic personality disorder? I mean, my take on it is that frequently people that actually have narcissistic personality disorder, uh, they will not come to a therapist. They will not come to a therapist unless they are forced sometimes by by the law, by 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 their spouse, by by something, okay? Frequently they will not seek therapy because they feel by default, that they are so much better and grander and more more wonderful than everyone else that they wouldn't seek any help because there's yeah. nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with them. Mm-hmm. Everything is wrong with their environment, but there's never nothing, anything wrong with them. Aha. No. Yeah. Oh. yeah. I've never diagnosed it. I don't, I don't think, think so I've either. ever truly seen it in mm-hmm. a present person either because, yeah, they're not going to come to Mm-mm. therapy. Same thing like uh, – some of those other personality disorders too. They're not going to no. come to therapy because nothing is wrong with and them. They're perfect. Frequently, mm. we will actually treat the family members yeah. of people who have narcissistic personality disorder because the person that's been married or been with or even daughter, son, you know, of someone with narcissistic personality disorder, they're so exhausted usually. They're falling apart. They're depressed. They're anxious because they're living with an individual that's very difficult to deal with. And that individual does gaslighting, convinces them that there's something wrong with them. You know, you can never please the person with narcissistic personality disorder. So you become so depressed and anxious that you end up as a... Yeah, in therapy, but not the person. <laughs> yeah, I know this wasn't on the schedule, but I and this question might, you know, open a box, but is it possible to... Be in therapy as maybe a wife or husband of a narcissistic person. Absolutely. And oh, sorry. No, you're <laughs> good. You're good. You're good. You're good. This is awesome. Um, I love it. And remain with that person and somehow find a sense of yourself again. Mm. Well, remain with them. Yes. Yes. Because sometimes you can't leave them. They will have so much power over yeah, you. Yeah, like sometimes. money or something. Money. That's it. Yeah. Kids. That's what I mean, they're just, just, they will put all kinds of roadblocks for you not to leave. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm witnessing something like mm-hmm. this yeah. right now. But is it possible to live and be with someone like this and still find your own strength and be your own person? Yeah. It's Maybe. hard. I mean, I don't know that I'd say like 100%. Another scenario that I think is more likely to experience that is a adult child of someone with narcissistic personality disorder like that where they have there's truly a separation because oh I'm now an adult living my own life mm. and I can have this boundary in this separation and be my own human now you know maybe mm. you know I yeah. think that it's so, so such complicated relationships yeah. Yeah. with people who have that disorder and that person doesn't know that. They are just, you know, they usually are just opinionated. They are strong-minded. They are strong-willed. You can never please them. It's always something's wrong, yeah. but it's never wrong anything with them. Yeah. They are invalidating. They are they're just such an overpowering persona mm. Yeah. Mm. that yeah, I don't know how you can be healthy and live in that environment yeah. with them, in that energy. Yeah. I don't know. You know, and I think there's... A- 
uh, this is maybe a small tangent, but there's, I think therapists have different um, opinions, I guess, about like cutting someone off like that or living with them and having boundaries. I think either one of those options is okay. Yes. You cut somebody off, great. Like, if it's possible, great. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's not. And what if, you know, this is another thing. I think ADHD, all this, all the disorders exist on a spectrum. Yeah. Like you can have a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And like, but maybe you learn how to cope with the symptoms. The same yeah. with narcissism. Like if you are, I don't know, like my parents live with me. My dad's a little bit of a narcissist. And I say a little bit because I love the guy. He's awesome. He's he he has a very difficult time to actually put himself in someone else's shoes. He doesn't exactly have empathy like that. He doesn't, he just, I don't think it's something that he even thinks about. So we had to learn how to live with his kind of disabilities almost. Like we just know dad is not someone I'm going to talk about emotional things. I'm not going to open up to him. I'm not going to, you know, I'm I'm not going to process some things with him. I'm probably just going to listen to him because he doesn't know how to listen. Yeah. He only knows how to talk and yep. <laughs> and then find something wrong with me. So mm-hmm. he will find different things wrong with me. He will come into my face and say, oh, what's going on with your large pimple right there? Oh my gosh. And it's a pimple you're trying to hide. And you're like, oh, my God, there's yep. my dad. So now, I, I mean, I've learned how to interact with him. I've... I'm. I, it's down to a science. I know exactly how not to react to it. I'm prepared for any kind of digs. Yep. I make jokes out of it. I, I laugh with him. And there are things we can do and we can enjoy. Mm-hmm. So I don't think every narcissistic person is hopeless. Like, I think there's ways to interact with them. But it depends how toxic they are right, and yeah. how closely you have to be with yeah. them. Because I can, you know, I can just kind of leave to a different room. I can tell my dad, listen, you're being an asshole right now. I'm not married to him, right? So I can do a lot of stuff that maybe a wife or a husband wouldn't be able to do. When someone doesn't like, okay, so I'm going to say respect that boundary, but they don't recognize that what they're doing is respecting that boundary, right? Because they don't have that ability. Mm -mm. But like, that's when it's okay to cut somebody off. (laughs) You Mm -hmm. know, like, I have I don't I'll talk about this. I don't care. I don't have a relationship with my father anymore. I haven't spoken to him for almost two years. And it was after just a lot of work. He did a lot of work. He changed a lot of behavior, absolutely. But it was still like just dig after dig after dig after dig that I was just so sick of being triggered. And he lives in a different state, like totally different state. Don't see him very often, but it was still just dig after dig after dig. Like mm-hmm. dude, so religious to like a f- fucking mm. crazy standpoint, mm. like unsolicited, um, well, you work with um, people who are gay. So here's everything the Bible says about why gay oh, is wrong, geez. right? Somebody like that, no interaction, and I'm getting emails like that, nope, cut them off because it's it's not worth it. And I think that's okay. People say what they will about like, oh, you can mend relationships, you can do this, can't you just tolerate Some. it? Yes, I could, but I can also choose to like – Live in peace and not worry about it. You know, and and, mm. and I'm going to defend the person with the narcissistic personality yeah. disorder only because, okay, we understand when someone has Down syndrome and we don't expect them to do certain things or think in certain ways because we know they have a disability. Yeah. 
a person with narcissistic personality disorder, they also have a disability. It's just we can't see it in their facial yeah. features. Yeah. So it's hard for us to see it. And so I'm not saying that you have to be around a person like that. If it's detrimental to your mental health, I think absolutely leave you know, do whatever you need to do for mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. But also putting it in a bigger perspective, I don't think that person really wants to be an asshole. They just they just don't know how to be any other way. I don't think he has the ability. Yeah, I do not doesn't. think that my dad has the ability no. to see one, my perspective, and behave any differently. Yeah, they have no empathy, and that's no. the grounds mm. of that sim the, the, yeah. the disorder. It's like they can't see it from a different perspective. They just can't. Yep. And yeah. that could also come from trauma. I think genetics. Yeah. I mean, of course, I psychoanalyze my dad all kinds yeah. of ways. But yeah. we talk about it with my mom sometimes. Yeah. It's so, it's like you just see it right in front of you. And, and you can't tell him he did anything wrong. Never. It's one thing. Never. Yeah. He's never, never, never wrong. Yeah. And we laugh about it. So we have this running joke in my family. Like my dad will like tell me how my mom screwed up something and how terrible she is. And, you know, he will like go on a rant. And I'm like looking at my mom. I'm like, mom, how could you be so terrible? How could you do this <laughs> yeah. to dad? And we're just laughing because uh, he yeah. is literally living in his yeah. own world. Yeah. And mom sits there quietly the whole time, <laughs> says nothing, and he tells me how terrible she is. Oh, I mean, yeah. I know how I how I've dealt with uh, close family members that I not exactly feel like I need to cut off, but I have strong boundaries with. I just stopped expecting yes anything, mm -hmm. literally yes. anything, mm -hmm. like other than them to be. Mm -hmm. What they always well, do. Well, and that too. And I'm very hot-headed. I know that. I get very, like... Triggered by something. <laughs> yes. And I almost, like... So part of my decision was... Because I know that about myself, so he doesn't have the ability to do X, Y, Z mm -hmm. to respect my boundary. And part of it, too, is I still have work to do to increase my ability to tolerate him and reinforce my boundary. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. And that's the beautiful thing. So it's yeah. like even though the person has some pretty negative traits and personality mm -hmm. behaviors, you can find something positive in that person too. Like yeah. your dad yes. probably there's there's hundreds of things that he did well. And he might be Absolutely. a wonderful provider. Absolutely. And he might be doing sacrificing himself in some other ways, which we are not going to be able to see. Right. So I think in some ways it's like my defense mechanism against someone with narcissistic personality disorder is to still see what a great person they are even though they have these drawbacks. Yeah. And as long as I'm not being negatively impacted or the environment is not too toxic for me to just drown in it, mm -hmm. I can still manage to see how in some ways they have some great mm -hmm. you know, things that Mm -hmm. that they've done or who they are. See, I can do that with other people, but not, not for with myself. Not with your dad. But <laughs> I also know that part of this is my own thing that I'm in therapy for and will continue to work on. <laughs> you know, I get a big smile now most of the time. There's like once a year when I completely lose my shit and I yep. blow up at my dad. And so now it's like it's like this thing. He's like, well, I got to be careful around you. <laughs> and I'm like the calmest person. But like once a year, he just pushes something in me where I'm like, mm, I just lose it. Lose it yeah. Probably more like once every two years. But but most of the time, I just get a big smile. I'm like, well, there we go. I know it. This is, <laughs> this is what happens yeah. when you let when you talk to them, you know? Yep. <laughs> We've talked about diagnoses, how to find a fit with your therapist, handling a diagnosis. How do we handle our family <laughs> around the holidays? Okay. <laughs> Tequila, lots of it, absolutely. Spiked eggnog. <laughs> 
absolutely. Hot just wine. kidding. Just kidding. Kelly, how do you deal with family members that might have some of these challenging personality qualities? Oh, I love my family so much. So because of the way that my relationship is with my father and his side of the family now, it's a little bit easier for me. Um, but my <laughs> recommendations to when that wasn't the case um, – What's your own expectations going into it? Do you yes. have a bias going into it that this is going to be shitty? Yeah. He's going to be awful. Mm. He's going to talk about this. Okay, well, then you're going to be on alert for that the whole time. Yeah. That's you, your own work to and do. And you, you can't know? control what they're mm, going to do. All. But not you can all. control how you're going to react to it. So, I mean, yeah. if it's the holidays and you know it's going to be drama and yeah. you've reacted to it by storming out and crying last Christmas. Mm-hmm. I did. You might yeah. as well. <laughs> you Seriously, you might yeah. as well just like come in with this energy like, you know what? No matter what happens, I'm going to stick around. I'm going to find something. Maybe the pie is really awesome and good. I'm going to stay here for the pie. Fake it. Faking it's okay, too, because faking it, you're going to at least feel good. Yeah. Who cares? Who cares? But also have a plan. I think it's okay to have a backup plan. So, like, if you feel triggered, if you feel yourself get so angry, walk outside. Go to the bathroom. Like, go wherever. Just, like, find something that's, like— you can do that that you've planned that you've thought through that way okay i feel this way i've already thought about what i'm gonna do now do it and if it's like a time kind of thing too if you know okay i've got like an hour and a half with these people and that's about all i can stand well tell them ahead of time hey i have to leave by 3 p.m just a heads up yeah, yeah, I won't yeah. be able to do that, but... I mean, you, you could do all kinds of things. You know, you could, you know, handle your Christmas differently this year if you yeah. didn't like how you handled it last year. The good thing about it is, I mean, whatever happens, happens, right? Yeah. Whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Whatever happens in your fa- at your family's uh, holiday get-together, yeah. I mean, make it fun. My just, sister and I have a plan to just go to hot yoga so that we there you go. remain you as calm as possible. Tequila, <laughs> yoga. I mean, yeah. there's we'll no wrong We'll do a shot ways. of tequila, go to hot yoga. <laughs> And do another shot and, <laughs> and have some spiked eggnog yeah. and pie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And forget everything that happened. <laughs> and how can you react differently? So if someone if you know somebody's gonna judge you for who you are or the job you have or mm-hmm. you know, or that you're single or that you whatever it is that you are divorced mm-hmm. or whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know, how can you prepare yourself and go into it knowing that that's what's gonna happen? And maybe have some comebacks prepared. Yeah, you know, exactly. maybe like, you know, whatever it is, you know. What are your fears? What are your thoughts? What are your worries that they're going to ask? Okay, well, put the energy into how, yeah, thinking about that ahead of time. Yeah. What if you're bringing your partner (laughs) to your family? I think your partner, this is a good thing, your partner will not be this triggered in the same way as you because That's you have true. these emotional yeah. connections and you know these people so well that even them looking at you a certain way, yeah. you already know they're thinking. Mm. But your partner doesn't they have any of that. that. They don't know. They don't know. So they they're not even going to – you're going to think your family's crazy and your partner will be like, no, everybody's nice. It'll probably be a good buffer. Yeah. I think this year is going to be very different because there's a lot of new people because – yeah. Um, I'm just going to – I mean, I'm not talking about it, but my dad has a new girlfriend and – right. um, my partner's coming for the first time to Canada to see, like, more of the family yeah. on that side and stuff. And so I think there's a lot of buffers. Everyone's going to be on their best behavior, yeah. I think, you know. Yeah. And I think practice gratitude. You know, like, no matter <laughs> yeah, what's going to yeah. happen, like, it's, I always yeah. try to put it good. in perspective. Like, okay, people, like, we live in one of the best countries in the world. Like, I know some people don't like the U.S. 
but here I am from Poland, and I still think that no matter what everybody says, no matter what government we have, no matter what political affiliation we have, we still live in a pretty decent... Perspective. Yes. Mm -hmm. Have perspective. You know, I have food, and I have shelter, and I have the means to attend a wonderful Christmas party with lots of food there. I know. I'm I'm excited. Yeah. I'm I'm excited mostly for the aquarium, so that maybe that'll be my place I'll run off to. I love it. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and maybe no. too doing like, I don't know. I think it's helpful to just do some like reflection. It's going to be this Christmas, me, my mom, and my dad. Mm-hmm. That's it. That yeah. We don't have any other family here. So we just go for a hike somewhere or, you know, have a little meal and whatever. And, and that's it. And yeah. we, I still think it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. But yeah. my mom, and even my dad kind of divorced their family in Poland in yeah. some ways because the families were so toxic. And so, you know, year after year after year, it's the same toxic behaviors. So we sort of left all of that there. So I sometimes think, you know, yeah. listen, if you have to divorce your family because you feel that there is no repairing, mm-hmm. it's never going to get better. And for your own mental health, you just sort of have to leave that behind then that's what you got to do. That's what yeah. you got to do. Yeah. You can go volunteer in a homeless shelter if you want to or, yep. you know, uh, go on a trip somewhere outside and uh, whatever. You know, w- the world stays open. You know, go for a hike in Ohio Park. Uh, like, do yeah. something good for yourself. Take those obligations out of yeah. it, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. You know. yeah. You don't have to do what other people are tell telling you you have to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> True. Uh, and I know that's easier for like a personality like you and I that's very like yes, big and bold. And yeah. I know that's really hard for some people. But. Gonna oh, sorry, I was really? gonna find there was a book. Oh. It was so funny. Uh, it had like uh, comebacks. I think comebacks to that are don't entertain it. Just say yeah, I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are they gonna say to that? Like, yeah. well, are you gonna change something about it? Maybe one day. Oh, oh like well, when that. I don't know. You're gonna, I love you know, that. Just, like, yeah, and, and everybody asking you, like, <laughs> you're getting too old to have kids. Well, gee, thanks for the reminder. I, what do we say to that, you know? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I love that. I've actually done that. I forget. Someone someone said something to me, and then I was like, what did I say? Oh, I had no idea. <laughs> like, oh, you you gained weight. Oh, no, I did had no idea. I don't see myself every day in the mirror. Like, thank you. Like, uh, shut yeah, up. Yeah. I hate it. Ugh. And eventually you say the same thing to people, they'll stop asking you. So, so yeah. for example, one uncomfortable question is, yes. why aren't you married? You know, like this is this is what uh, <laughs> oh God. what uh, sometimes I would hear, you know. Um, so here is some uh, little comebacks for you if you want to. Well, this whole book it. on it. That's this awesome. whole book on it. Um, let's see. What's the book called? Even God is Single. Even God is Love Single. It. That's one so of the comebacks. Stop giving me a hard time. <laughs> Uh, number one, you could say, what's the hurry? Uh, married people are not necessarily better catches simply because they are they were caught. I mean, have you taken a look at some of the married people out there? Frankenstein got married. <laughs> Hitler got married. Oh, my um, God, that's great. True. And meanwhile, Catwoman is single. Buddha, single. Uh, Aphrodite, single. I love it. Madonna, the Lone Ranger. Actually, all superheroes are single. Superwoman, Wonder Woman, doodly-doo, right? Uh, then there's the ultimate superhero, God. 
also single, and God is even a single parent household. Wow. It's easy to become married. Yeah. 2.3 million people do it a year. If you want to pressure me to become something, hey, why not pick something a little more challenging, like an astrophysicist? Why am I single? It's a mystery right up there with who shot JFK? <laughs> and why don't other countries have better toilet paper? <laughs> the best things in life are free. Why limit myself to being dissatisfied by one relationship when I can be dissatisfied by an infinite variety? <laughs> Many fabulous things don't necessarily come in pairs. For instance, there's only one hope diamond. Consider the following verbal similarities, then ask yourself, coincidence or what? Bridal versus brittled, monogamy versus monotony, wedlock versus deadlock, marriage versus mirage, I do versus I guess you will do, one of a kind. And now consider all the cool vocabulary related to non-marrieds. One of a kind, single most, saving the best for last, singular sensations, singled out, a hit single. Good things do come to those who wait, which reminds me, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, good things do come to those who wait. Statistics show <laughs> folks who wait until their 30s to marry experience a much lower divorce rate, probably because we're older and wider. Oops, I meant wiser. <laughs> yeah, so this is just so cool. It's just like this it. cool cute. little book, so and it cute. just goes on with these funny things in there. So cute. Yeah, That's if funny. you want a comeback book for, um, you know, why am I single? Question uh -huh. uh, by by this one. Even God is single. Love it. Uh, so stop giving me a hard time by Karen Samson. S A L M A N S O H N. That's it. Love, love it. it. Let's do Naked I Truth really quick. Yeah, Naked Truth. Naked Truth, no matter what happens, I'm going to be okay. Love it. Like that. Even if things are not going my way, it's the way that life was designed for me. God made this... I'm, I'm going to talk about God for one second. Not to be religious or anything. I just... Oh, uh, no, it's okay. I've worked on my religious universe. trauma. Don't worry. <laughs> the, the one universe, working. okay? The, the, so the universe, God, I feel like... This life is a test, mm -hmm. and it's designed specifically for me. So, of course, my life is going to be different than someone else's. And my challenges that I have would be easy for someone else, and they're going to be hard for me. But no matter what, I am here to just go through the challenges. And no matter mm -hmm. if I get a D or an A, it doesn't matter because, because God yeah. tells me, mm -hmm. just do it. Just do the best that you can. Show up. Take mm -hmm. your tests. It doesn't matter the results as long as you as long as you're participating. That's okay. So I'm as long as I'm learning from my life and showing up and doing what I got to do. Yeah, totally I love fine. that. And yeah. if I'm single, even God was single, so yeah. it's all good. <laughs> my uh, naked truth is I'm gonna remain in gratitude. Um, I ha feel like I need a constant reminder to to just. When things are hard, whenever I can just think of like five things to be grateful for, somehow it helps. So yeah. I'm just going to try to keep reminding myself of that. Maybe I'll get a tattoo on my hand that says gratitude or something. Oh, there you go. <laughs> um, my naked truth is that being happy and feeling happy amongst shit feels good. So yeah. feel it. Oh, yeah. 
because it's succeeding. It's 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 totally, yeah. Dancing in the rain. Don't forget about most of the good stuff in your life. And if yeah. nothing else, you have this podcast to listen to through your hard holiday parties. It. We're honest. We're naked. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. you can always show your middle finger in your pocket. You don't have to like, you know, yeah. Yeah. flip everybody off. Broken you can middle just... middle finger nail. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah, Kelly was showing too, too much of her I middle know. finger and now she broke her nail. nail. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We're going to close it with a Christmas song. <laughs> Christmas carol song, something. Jingle bells. Jingle bells. Jingle bells. Jingle bells. Jingle I can't believe Or do you want to do lyrics. Silent Night? <laughs> silent Night. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's the only lyric we need to say is Silent Night. Go to that family holiday party, then have a Silent Night. Yeah. <laughs>